All right, what's up guys? Good to see everybody. Um, so, every week we say this, you're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace, and you're never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And this is always a reminder to us that RUF, but really more importantly, Jesus, um, is for those who are desperate. It's for those that are at the end of themselves. That often we think of church, um, quote unquote church, is about having our lives in order. You think of the squeaky clean images of people in their best dresses, their best suits, coming to a place that always has wholesome conversation, no swearing, smiling, singing. And what happens is we get this idea that in order to experience the gospel, uh, we need to look a certain way. But what the gospel in the Bible actually points to is the opposite. It's for those who are unclean, unworthy, and don't have their lives in order. That maybe some of you are here tonight and feeling a lot of that unworthiness. And maybe you've gotten to this place of desperation. And I think that's a really, really good starting point to encounter Jesus. Um, so we've been in Ephesians, and this is why we talked about last week that this short letter of six chapters is split into two different sections right down the middle. Um, so Paul in section, the first section, basically what we've been studying so far uh, is that he spent a majority of his time not explaining to the Ephesians what they need to do to get better. Instead, he spends the entire first half of his book reminding the Ephesians of who God is and what God has done. That Paul understands our belief always comes before our actions. What we have our faith in always shapes what we do. And if you really think about that in all of your life, what we believe always moves us into action. Whether you believe in God or don't believe in God. Uh, and keep in mind that the Ephesian church in Ephesus, they were really struggling. Um, it wasn't easy being around, surrounded by a pagan culture for them. It was tiring. You know, it, it was the norm to worship other gods. And so they were constantly being shunned from places of society because they believed different things. And isn't it interesting that instead of Paul focusing, you know, he's writing them a letter and instead of like focusing right off the bat of just like things they need to do or strategies they need to have or advice to give them, he mainly just talks about who God is and what God has done for three whole chapters. That you may be here today and are wrestling with what am I supposed to do in my life? I'm really struggling. I'm struggling living on a college campus. I don't know what to do. And perhaps... What you really need to do is focus on what it is that you really believe about God, about life, about his world, because those beliefs will always shape you into doing things. That's always the order of our morality and ethics. Every single person you come across on campus, every single person is doing things because of certain assumptions they have 
certain beliefs that drive them. Even scientists who claim to only live by facts and evidence, you have to have certain underlying beliefs and certain assumptions in order to even believe in facts and in things that drive you towards science. And so today we get to the end of the first part of Ephesians uh, on what we believe. And as Paul transitions into his emphasis on now what we do with that, there's this incredible prayer. And it links both of the sections together of our belief and our action. And in this prayer, it's fascinating to see that Paul doesn't pray how often we pray, how often I pray, which is something like this. Dear God, please change this certain circumstance in my life. Like, help me to know which direction to take. Help me to know what to do or to make certain things in my life easier, even. Paul mainly prays for one thing for the Ephesians. One thing. And it's that they would understand the immense magnitude of God's love towards them. That's what he prays for. That they would understand how much God loves them. So let's read together, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to hear it and to read it and to study it. Uh, we long to know what it means, what it says, what it says about us and what it says about your love towards us. So I pray that you would use this time to draw near to us, move closer. And I pray that you would uh, shape our hearts to receive what it is you have to say. It's in Christ's name. Amen. So tomorrow is mine and Val's nine-year anniversary. Yeah, thanks. We're, we're almost in the double digits. It's pretty cool. And Val and I have been reflecting on the past nine years. And one of the things Val reminded me of uh, was right after our first year anniversary, someone from our church uh, came to us. And, you know, they had that typical question, how was the first year, y'all? You know, it's like a kind little old church lady that came up. And, you know, me being the, the super insecure person who's obsessed with, like, just wanting to look good. You okay back there, Peter? Okay. So, so we get asked this question, and, and me being, you know, that person that just wants to look good, 
I'm like, thank you so much for asking. It was great. And Val looks up and she says, yeah, um, it was actually pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, she was being honest. Now, the reason I say this is because what the Bible depicts about our relationship to Jesus is a marriage. That we have become one with Christ. And that's the language they use about husband and wife, becoming one. That he has vowed to be with us forever. And yet sometimes we experience conflict and turmoil and confusion. That we aren't really able to enjoy that oneness with Christ. And I know y'all feel that. I feel it. Like apparently Val felt in our first year of marriage. (laughs) And it leads us into doubting his love for us. Or maybe even us doubting our love for him and potentially looking for answers in other places. And what I think Val and I have realized over the years is that the answer to much of our conflict and our hard times and all the ways that being in relationship can be hard. And the answer for us over these years, and we're still growing But it's not been to just perform for each other and shape up or just cause the other person to work harder. But the answer that always works is to remind each other of how much we love each other, to grow in our love. That the insecure part of me in that first year of marriage was to tell myself that in order to escape this conflict and this disorder, in our lives, uh, I just need to make sure I clean up the kitchen more because then Val will like me more and she'll, she'll love me, right? Or I, I, I don't need to tell as many inappropriate jokes, right? Or maybe we just need to watch more cheesy romantic Hallmark movies and then that'll fix us, right? That'll fix us because those are the movies she wants to watch and then she'll love me more. But actually what has led me to doing those things including the Hallmark movies, has not been to earn her love, but it's been from knowing how much she loves me. Because like, why would I not want to do things that she enjoys? She loves me and it leads me into loving her more. And I think this is the heart of Paul's prayer, that he wants the Ephesians to know that every single thing that he is about to show them to do in chapters four through six, about living the way God intended, because that's what we're about to get into, it will not happen unless they first come to realize the immense love of God towards them. Unless they understand it. And so that's what will grow them in their lives. That's what will grow us in our lives. That belief is what will lead them into doing things. So briefly, I want us to just reflect on all the ways that God loves us. And the way I want to frame it is actually the way that Paul frames it in verse 18. That I want us to see that Paul prays for the strength to understand the breadth of God's love for us. I want us to see the length of God's love for us. I want us to see the height of God's love for us and the depth of God's love for us. So number one, the breadth of God's love for us. 
What is that? So in other words, how wide does God's love go? That Paul has just talked about in Ephesians 2, that he came, Jesus came and and preached peace to you who was far off and peace to you who were near. He covers a wide scope, that it's immense. It's not confined to just one particular people group or one particular type of person. And at the heart of this particular statement is the question that I think every single one of us has wrestled with, or maybe even wrestling right now, and it's this. Could God really love me? Could he really love me? That it's hard to really believe that God would actually love someone like me, right? Someone who's done the things I've done, Or who continues to do the things that I do? One of my old teachers in seminary, um, he wrote a book. And in the book, it says this. If a child believes that her parents cannot handle what she actually questions or feels, she will pretend all is well or constantly tantrum. But she will not reveal her true heart in all of its nobility and ugliness, needy for help, longing to try, rotting with secrets, but show her a parent who has capacity for her and she will risk, she will argue, she will ask, she will laugh, she will learn, and she will cry in the presence of their love. That our tendency is to feel like we need to hide ourselves so that we can truly be loved. But understand that the breadth of God's love is to move you into being able to fully bring all of yourself before him with confidence that he loves you. An old pastor once said, cheer up. You are far worse than you realize, but also you are far more loved than you ever dared imagine. This is the breadth of God's love. It stretches far beyond what we believe are the limits. But then that may lead you to to asking, okay, maybe he loves me. But how long will he bear with me? When I continue to mess up, how long will God really put up with me until he's finally just fed up or disgusted with me? So that leads us, the length of God's love, that this love is forever. This is a forever love. That same breadth that expands and loves farther than we can imagine is constant. That some of you may pray and confess a certain sin for the 5,000th time and come back again and again and again to that same spot. And the prayer sounds something like this. Here I am again. Aren't you tired of this, God? Aren't you tired of me? Don't you dislike me as much as I dislike myself? Don't you want to leave me? because of how tired you are. And it says this in John 13. It says this of Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. And I don't know if any of you have read the book, Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't, you should. It's amazing. The author talks about this verse and how it highlights the limitless nature of Christ's love. And he says this, In going to the cross, Jesus did not retain something for himself the way we tend to do. 
when we seek to love others sacrificially. He doesn't love like us. We love until we're betrayed. Jesus continued to the cross despite betrayal. We love until we're forsaken. Jesus loved through forsakenness. We love up to a limit. Jesus loved and he loves until the end. It's forever. It's a forever love. So guys, the words, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus cries, echoing Psalm 22 on the cross. Do you all realize you and I will never have to truly say those words? That our prayers sometimes feel like this, but that Jesus's forever love does not forsake us because he was the one who was forsaken for us. That's the length of it. That's the length of God's love. He never tires of you. Even when you forsake yourself, he never forsakes you. And so maybe that leads you to this guilt, right? Like, well, man, he loves me so much. So I really need to perform for him. I need to do right. I I need to be better at being better. You know, I need to shape up. I need to work harder. Like, take advantage of this love that he has for me. But this leads us to the height of God's love. What's the height of God's love? The height of God's love is exaltation, royalty, satisfaction, fulfillment, high exalting. And here's the crazy thing. It's of you. (laughs) He lifts you up to that. God's love for you is the highest of the highs. God sings over you. This is what scripture says. God sings over you. God delights over you. He rejoices over you every single second of the day. That's hard to believe for us. He is crazy about you. Brennan Manning, I've I've talked about him before. He's an author. He was a Catholic priest for a while, um, an alcoholic. He tells the story of a guy named Edward Farrell, who was also a priest. And he went on a two-week summer vacation to Ireland to visit his relatives. And so his one uncle living uh, was about to celebrate his 80th birthday. Um, And so the day of the big celebration, Ed and his uncle got up early to take a walk alongside this lake. And they stopped to watch the sunrise and stood side by side, taking it all in for about 20 minutes. Then they kept on walking. And Ed glanced over at his uncle and saw that his face had just broken into this huge smile. And Ed said, Uncle Seamus, which is a cool name, you look very happy. And he said, I am. And Ed asked, how come? And his uncle replied, the father of Jesus is very fond of me. And if that question were put on you, do you really believe God likes you? Like I I know, like we can go through the theological hoops, right? Uh, that God theologically must love me, right? But, but do you really believe that God is fond of you? That the Father is very fond of you? That his love reaches you up into the heavens with him? Because he likes you? 
I think sometimes we think God really just wants to limit me. You know, he really wants to just keep me from doing those bad things I shouldn't do. He wants me to be well-behaved and good. Uh, And I think that often when we think of God as just this divine taskmaster, which really when we think about it, uh, some of our parents are this way. Like, just, just do the right thing. You know, I, I, you just need to keep it together. Making sure his people are just doing what he wants. We miss the height of his love. That the single most joyful thing and the best place for you to experience life, joy, bounty, is God's immense pleasure towards you. That we think God loves us and, and wants to limit us, but that is farther from the truth. God's love gives us life that in the way that we intended, or that he intended it. And one day we will experience this even more fully in our glorious bodies, high and exalted with God himself, face to face. And so finally, I'll close with this. The depth of his love. The depth of his love. That it feels good when we think about how God delights over us, right? Uh, But what about when we don't delight in him? What about when we actually can't muster up the energy? How deep does the love really go? (laughs) What about when I'm depressed? What about when I'm anxious? What about when I feel the farthest from God that I've ever felt in my entire life? When there doesn't feel like an inkling of love towards him or towards myself? What then? This past Sunday, I preached on a passage in Luke 7 known as the parable of the two debtors. And in that passage, there's this prostitute that enters before Jesus and sits at his feet and just weeps. And Jesus proclaims profoundly at the end of this passage, he who is forgiven much loves much. And what if those particular moments when you feel the most alone, the most fearful, the most sorrowful, and have the most longing, the most pain, what if in those moments, that is actually where you are going to experience the depth of God's love? There's an illustration uh, from this writer. Her name is Brene Brown. Have y'all read her or heard of her? Um, So she writes on shame and different sociological things. She studies that. And she defines the difference in empathy and sympathy. And here's what she does. She, She has this illustration of this person at the bottom of a hole uh, with no ladder, just weeping by herself alone. And the way the story goes is that sympathy calls down and and, and says, I am so sorry. And he feels for how she is at the bottom of the hole and how much he hopes that she'll be able to get out, that he will seek to call help and, and wants her to know how much he loves her and he's concerned with her. But then empathy looks down in the hole And empathy, without missing a beat, just jumps into the hole. And all he says is, I just want to be here with you right now so that you're not alone. And when it comes to Jesus and his deep love, God looks down in the world and said, I want to be with you. 
and your misery and your pain. I want to be with you so that you're not alone. And so he entered the hole of pain and misery and he sits beside us. And he holds us. That's the depth of God's love for you. That there's no particular hole that you may be in that you cannot look up and literally see God holding you. That is what he longs to do. And so if there is one thing that I pray for our group here at Texas Tech, uh, it's not that we would grow into some popular place that students can come and learn, learn about the Bible. That's a good thing. And have fun and have relationships like I see all of y'all have. That's amazing. I love that. Those are great things. But I hope that we would be a group that is able to grasp the breadth and length and height and depth of God's love. That when we pray for one another, that is what we can pray for. Is that you get up out of bed and you were able to know how much you're loved by God, regardless of what hole you're, you're in, regardless of where you're coming from. Let's pray. Dear God, your love does not let us go. Uh, even when we're weary, even when we feel like we are doing everything we can to run away from you, your love is more. It's more powerful. I pray that we're able to just grasp an inkling of that tonight. That we would feel your presence, that we would know your love even more. And that we would long to just sit as the woman in Luke 7 and just cling to you. Just hold you. Because we know of how much you're holding us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.